You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Amen. You guys can have a seat. How are we doing? Good? Let's go John 17. John 17. And I've got some work to do before I get to John 17. Uh, but as you're turning there, I want to welcome you all back uh, to Overflow. Uh, if this is your first time, or maybe last week was uh, your first time, uh, I'll connect some dots for you guys. Uh, my name is Zach Cunningham. I serve here uh, as the associate college pastor. Uh, and for about half the time, uh, you'll see me up here speaking. Uh, and then for the other half of the time, I've scheduled some guys to come in and speak, like Shane last week. Uh, and that frees me up to uh, work with Rachel and Micah and serve you guys uh, and do beach reach stuff. Uh, and procrastinate, seminary, homework, uh, stuff like that. Um, all that to say, I am excited to be back, uh, and I thank the Lord for this opportunity uh, to make much of him with you guys tonight. Um, all right, so uh, the first week of the semester, uh, we talked about how Christ is at the center of history, uh, and how 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah the prophet uh, prophesied with a remarkable accuracy um, the picture of the cross uh, and, and what God was doing uh, at the cross. And then here we are, uh, 2,000 years later, uh, still talking about it. Uh, then Shane came in last week uh, and talked about Christ uh, being at the center of our relationships and how God has created us, male and female, in his image to enjoy one another, uh, help one another, uh, marry one another, uh, and then to enjoy all the pleasures of marriage, including having sex with one another. Uh, and that the intimacy that we get and the pleasure that we get from that uh, points us to the intimacy we have with God uh, and the pleasure that is at his right hand. And that marriage and sex all point us back to God. And tonight, uh, we're going to piggyback off of Shane's message last week and continue the conversation about relationships because the bulk of our relationships with other believers is not that of a dating relationship but of something else at least hopefully right um, but that's a sermon for another time tonight we're going to be talking about these relationships under the banner of um, christ-centered community christ-centered community and we're going to be looking at what the bible says about community and here's why uh, we live uh, in a day and age uh, that most would describe as um, the most connected generation uh, ever. Uh, with things like cell phones and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, uh, the ability to uh, keep up with everyone and then to allow everyone to keep up with you uh, has kind of created this virtual web of connectivity um, that some of us were kind of, uh, you know, adapted to, and some of you young ones were actually born into it uh, and molded into it. Uh, and I don't need to explain this to you guys like I would my grandma. Uh, you guys know this. Uh, you click on Facebook, and you see your cousin's cute dog uh, and your friend's uh, ugly newborn baby. Uh, and I just made that up. And so if one of my friends just had a baby, I, I'm sure it's adorable. Uh, you can click on Snapchat where you've had a 400-day streak uh, with like four people of like one snap of your feet in chemistry class. Um, you can click on Instagram, and now you can see and post like every exciting moment of your life, even if your life is not all that exciting. Um, 
My first thing was I am messenger. Do you guys know what that is? Anybody know what I am messenger is? Um, all that to say, we are a connected generation, uh, more so now than ever. But what's interesting is that study after study shows um, that not only are we the most connected generation ever, but we're also uh, the most lonely generation ever. And that social media may not be all that social after all. And the dangerous irony here is that while we have this perceived level of being connected with one another, what we've actually accomplished is isolation from one another. Uh, and this stuff is all over. I do not have to explain it too far. Um, depression rates are on the rise. Stress and anxiety and the fear of missing out uh, has impacted every single person sitting in this room. And the internet and this high-tech environment has enabled us to replace face-to-face -face interaction with texting and DMs and tweets and spending more time with your friends on social media than you do in person. And honestly, for the first time in history, think about this, face-to-face um, -face interaction, personal interaction, has become almost unnecessary. Almost unnecessary, but now sociologists, those are social scientists, are starting to realize the dangers that are coming with this. Uh, I did some re research. Um, listen to this quote from an article published by the University of California, San Diego, about their research about social media's impact on culture. It says this, what we know at this point is that we have evidence that replacing your real world relationships with social media use is detrimental to your well-being. The article goes on to say, where we want to be cautious is when the sound of a voice or a cup of coffee with a friend is replaced with likes on a post. With likes on a post. And this is one of those moments where society starts to catch up to what the Bible says. Where society and culture are just now realizing that community and physical interaction with one another is good for the well-being of the person, that we as humans are wired to actually hang out with one another, other human beings, as if they've made some sort of incredible discovery when the Bible has been talking about this for thousands of years, that you and I are created for community, community with one another. And that doesn't come from a research article. That comes from God. Uh, last week, Shane walked us through Genesis, talking about relationships, and that we are made in the image of God. Now, because of that, we have value. We have value, but not only are we uh, valuable, but we're also designed and wired for community. Why? Because our God, in his existence, is a communal God. Let's look back again at verse uh, from Genesis. It'll be on the screen. Genesis 1, chapter 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what we get from the narrative of creation, that before anything existed, even the world, God did 
and God existed in community within himself, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. And the word Trinity, you will not find that in the Bible, but you will find the idea of the Trinity all over Scripture. Um, the Trinity is a truth that's hard to explain, uh, but it's easy to see. Um, Austin Smith, uh, he takes a whole week out of Hope Defenders. Um, Hope Defenders is our Sunday night apologetics group that meets at 6 p.m. in the CLC uh, plug. Um, he, he takes a whole week out of Hope Defenders' schedule to talk about the Trinity. And I love it because each time we come together and we try to understand it, only to come to the conclusion that we can't understand it. And we get our Bibles and we, we cram ourselves into this room and we come together and we're like, this is it. This is going to be the week that we come up with the perfect illustration for the Trinity. And it does not take us very long to figure out that it is impossible. Uh, and side note to this side note, uh, if that rubs you the wrong way, if you say, why do you, why do you worship a God you can't understand? That, that makes no sense. Uh, listen to me. I, I rest real easy in the fact that I can't understand the God of the universe. I don't, I don't want to worship a God that is so small you can put him in a box. All right? You can't understand God because he's the only thing like God. And if you think about it, you come from the other way saying, I have got to understand everything about God before I worship him. Uh, that is the prideful stance. That's arrogant, that I have to understand everything about God before I submit to him. This should not be a weak spot in Christianity, but a humble and a joyful one. Anyways, back to the Trinity in creation, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had perfect harmony and fellowship with one another. And out of the joy of that perfect community overflows into creating the world, overflows into creating the world, and especially humans. Let us make man in our image. So not only are we created in the image of God with the moral compass of God, but also with the desire for the joy that comes from community. That's what we were wired to do. And we see this truth in Scripture uh, perfectly in John chapter 17. And that's where we're going to be camped out for a moment. Uh, to give you a little bit of context here, John, in John, Jesus is about to be betrayed and then crucified. Uh, literally after this chapter, so chapter 18, verse 1, it says Jesus went to the garden to get betrayed. So he's on his way to the cross. Uh, in the last moments of his earthly ministry here with his disciples, we see uh, Jesus pray to the Father. Uh, and so last, last semester, if you were here, uh, we studied Matthew 6. Uh, it's called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father in heaven, right? Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. But what we're going to see in John 17 is uh, this might even be uh, better titled the Lord's Prayer. Because we're going to see Jesus pray to the Father. Let's read beginning in verse 1 of John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, Father, since you, Father, have given him, Son, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you, Father, have given him, Son. 
And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I, Son, glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you, Father, gave me, Son, to do. And now, Father, glorify me, Son, in your own presence with, and catch this, the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So here we have what, what I think is one of the coolest passages of Scripture because we have two members of the Godhead, Father and Son, interacting with one another. And so you see here in this Scripture, uh, the Father and Son glorify one another. The Father gave the Son authority and a people to save and then Jesus does everything the Father told him to do. And then at the end, Jesus prays for the glory he had while he is with the Father, namely in the beginning, before Genesis. So we have Jesus, the Son, submitting to the will of the Father in perfect fellowship with one another. But you say, wait a minute. Zach, where's the Holy Spirit? You Baptists never talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, he's coming, baby. Take, take your Bible. Go one page back. John 15. John 15. Verse 26. 15, 26 says this. But when the Helper comes, Spirit, whom I, Son, will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, Spirit, will bear witness about me, Son, and you, disciples, also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here we have Jesus promising that a helper is going to come. He's coming from the Father, and he's going to preach the gospel of Jesus. And it's not until after Christ has risen from the grave that we see in Acts chapter 2 uh, that the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and lights things up. This is the God we worship, one God in three Persons with a plan from the beginning of time to save sinners. From the beginning of time with a plan. Jesus, you're going to go to earth. Uh, you're going to die, but you're going to be resurrected. Uh, Holy Spirit, you're going to go after that. Open the eyes of my people to Jesus Christ, their Savior. There was no hesitation. There's no bartering or negotiation. Just overflowing joy and perfect harmony. Now turn back to John 17. Because we're going to see here what Jesus prays for and who Jesus prays for. John 17, we're going to start in verse 6. Jesus prays this. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. And look at this, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus' prayer now is that just as the Father 
and the Son are one, so the disciples would be. That Peter, James, John, Thomas would all be one. But where I think the most encouraging verse is in this prayer is verse 20. Look at verse 20. Because Jesus is not just praying for those disciples. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That is us. Because we believe in Christ from their word. Namely what? The Bible. Keep reading. Verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. First, I'd like to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus Christ, your Savior, prays for you. That he is in that room praying for you. He says it. And so I think about this all the time. Anytime I'm going through a struggle or doubt or fear or I don't know what in the world God's doing with my life, uh, I remember, uh, no, 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 Christ prays for this. And he right now, he prayed for it, and then right now he's interceding for me to the Father for this. And so find encouragement in the fact that Christ prays for you. And now Christ's prayer for the saints, it's, it's very specific. He says it three times. You probably caught it. Uh, he says it three times between the verses of 21 and 23. Uh, 21, that they may all be what? One. 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. And verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. And so Jesus' prayer is that they might be one, like the Father and Son are one. So Jesus has a desire for us to be in community with one Another, And we're going to be spending the rest of the night talking about um, this idea uh, that we're saved by a community, the triune God, for community with one another. That we're saved by community and for community. Uh, and what exactly Christ-centered community looks like. And so really I want to show you three things uh, that are a mark of Christ-centered community. Uh, and then I want to show you in... Uh, the Bible, where that is. Uh, because here's the point, uh, and I want to make this point as often as I can, uh, as, as often as I'm with you. Um, what I say tonight is useless, unless you see it in the Bible. If you don't see it in the Bible, don't believe it. I could be lying to you. Don't believe it unless I convince you that it is in the Bible. My goal tonight is not to teach you about a God that I created in my head, but about the God who created the universe, and that's the God of the Bible. So here's, a, here's some good advice. Uh, if you go to a church and the pastor stands up here and all he does is shares funny stories and inspirational lines for you to tweet out later, and he never gets underneath the text of the Bible, uh, he is wasting your time. Find a different church. Go to a different ministry. We want to be about the Bible because the Bible transforms lives. Um, that's my rant for the evening. Uh, anyways, community, uh, here's my sermon. Members of a Christ-centered community have the same identity, the same purpose, uh, and the same mission. So that's my sermon. Members of a Christ-centered community have 
the same identity, the same purpose, and the same mission. So first, we have the same identity. Look back at John 17, verse 20. Again, uh, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So it says that they also may be in us. So before, really before we talk about community, uh, we need to have a conversation about uh, identity. And, and let me tell you why. Um, identity is going to be the answer to the question, who are you? Who are you? So if you were to ask me that question, I would say, uh, well, I am Zach Cunningham. Uh, I'm, I serve here as a pastor at First Denton. Uh, I'm 23. I graduated from UNT uh, with an accounting degree that costs more than it's worth to me now. Uh, I have to read my notes to describe myself. Uh, and I like to run. And, and that's what I would do to, to let you know that's how I identify myself. I would just start listing things. Uh, and identity is going to play a huge role in uh, community because you find community with people you identify with. And you guys know this. It's like high school. Uh, we have any band geeks out there? Any band geeks? Band nerds, whatever you want to call it. Well, if you're in school, like your crew, your little geek squad it is the band. And it, it, Volleyball. If volleyball is your crew, if you identify as a volleyball player, your community is your volleyball team. But here's where I need to make a strong point about uh, identity. Um, culture says, in society, says that you find your identity uh, in a few places. Uh, you are what you do. You are what you do. So you're an artist or an engineer or a student or a teacher. So I would be, uh, you know, associate college pastor because that's what I do. Or you are what you achieve. So you are a 4.0 student or a 1.0 student <laughs> or... I don't know, living in the past. You're the varsity football player who led your high school to a state championship or high school dropout. So you are what you achieve. Or you are what other people say you are. So you're kind. You're outgoing. You're annoying. You're <laughs> funny. Or you find your identity uh, in your past, your failures, how many followers you have on Instagram, or that you're a student leader at Overflow. This is who I Am. And here's where this causes so much pain uh, for us. And you have experienced this. If you are what you achieve, you're always going to need to do more to find value. And if you are what other people say you are, you're always going to be trying to impress other people and please them. And we've all fallen into that one. But listen to me, because this is important. If you are a believer in Christ, your identity is not in those things. It is in Christ. And your identity is not found in what you have done, but in what Christ has done for you. And your identity is not based on what other people say about you, but on what God says about you. Your identity is not in your sin. It's based on the cross. And so what this means, this is huge, because no longer am I Zach Cunningham, pastor, or Zach Cunningham, the student. I'm Zach Cunningham, son of God. And so your identity, ultimately, if you're in Christ, isn't a student or the funny friend or the football player or the gymnast 
or the slave to sin. Your identity is redeemed sinner bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is your new identity. And I want to show you this in the Bible. Listen to how Paul describes this very thing in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. Or in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has Come. This is the message of the gospel, that Christ has come into your life, redeemed you, and then called you his. And that while culture tells you to look inside yourself to find your identity, the Bible says look to Christ. Look to Christ, and this is who we are. And here's the deal. It's not based on anything you've done. It's based on grace so that no man may boast. And now you have a new identity. Look at what Peter calls you in 1 Peter Starting in verse 9 of chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So your identity is you are chosen, you are royal. You are holy in God's own people. This is who we are. And this is awesome. You start reading the Bible, it's got a lot to say about identity. John says you're a child of God. 1 Corinthians calls you restored. Ephesians has got all kinds of stuff to say about you. It says you're holy and blameless, you're chosen, and you are God's masterpiece. 1 Thessalonians says you are loved by God. And 2 Corinthians says, you are made complete by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That is your identity in Christ. And here's how this plays out when it comes to community. Um, My little circle uh, includes uh, the guys I live with, uh, probably like my brother, Austin Smith, and and Matt, maybe some other guys. Uh, And in my circle, basically in my house, probably most often guys I live with, Uh, And in my house, I live with six guys, five others. And in my house, we have a Filipino gymnast, uh, an opera singing angel, um, two and a half rednecks, uh, a half rapper, his last name is Youngblood, and and a tall, skinny white boy uh, who likes to run for fun. My point is, we could not be more different. Patrick and Micah Willis are from the city, Jesse and Micah and I are from the boondocks of East Texas. Patrick likes to do flips. Jesse likes to cook. Jesse, where are you at? And, and I can't cook, right? I, I can cook eggs, bacon, toast, and nachos. Um, I'm pretty sure Jacob Tudor works for like a super secret like government agency. Here's why. That dude leaves the house before I wake up, and he don't get back until after I'm asleep. And so I've never seen Jacob And Michael Willis is a music major, um, so he doesn't have time for hobbies or fun. Um, (laughs) The point I'm making is we don't have a lot in common, but we have the one thing in common that matters, and that's our identity in Christ. 
Uh, I love these guys. I thank God for these guys. Um, this isn't in my notes. The other day, I'm praying. And I was thinking, I was like, Lord, thank you for these boys in my life. Uh, and I started thinking, you know, thank you for putting them in a house with me. Uh, thank you for bringing them to Denton. I start working backwards in time. Uh, thank you for saving them. Thank you for giving them the past that they had. I keep going backwards in time. Also, thank you for their parents. <laughs> that they fell in love and, and that one night, and then I stopped. Um, I, my boss is here. Uh, get you, listen, here's the point. Get you some friends like um, these guys. Um, ran this one back in. Uh, we all have the same identity under Christ. And because of that, we can have fellowship with one another. We can have late midnight combos about theology together and uh, prayer meetings in the house and, and potlucks. Uh, and I think someone's stealing my eggs, but grace abounds. And we can talk about, and we can talk about struggles and we can call each other out, like making sex jokes on stage, just all of these things. But because we're all part of the same family, and if you are a believer in here, you can have community with anyone, regardless of race, background, interest, because you are in Christ, meaning you share the same king and the same body, which means if I jump into a plane and skydive into Egypt, don't have a heart attack, and I run into a brother who don't speak English or likes the Dallas Cowboys or eat fried chicken, but he, he knows Christ, I've got community with that guy. And real talk, this is why my friendships in Denton are miles deeper than my friendships uh, from high school. Because, here's, here's why, my friend, I was friends with people in high school for a few reasons. We lived close by, so proximity. Um, we went to the same school. Uh, there wasn't a lot to choose from. Uh, someone had a PlayStation, and, and one guy had a truck. Um, but uh, the friendships I had back then, um, I, I'm not friends with anyone from high school anymore, except maybe my brother. But literally, that's not an exaggeration. I, I'm not friends with one person from high school, but I have a deep, real, authentic relationship with my boys here because we all have experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We realize we don't deserve it, and because of that, we have a compassionate, forgiving, loving relationship uh, and joy in Christ because he saved us and the point here is that once your relationship vertically has changed, namely from an enemy of God to a child of God, now your relationships horizontal can change. This is what Christ prays for in John 17, that we would be in Christ and one together. And if we are in Christ, our lives now have purpose, namely to bring glory to God. And this is my next point, that a Christ-centered community brings glory to God. In other words, leveraging your life and passion and resources and energy to make Jesus look like the beautiful, glorious king that he is. That's what it means to bring glory to God. Um, we studied this a lot last semester. We want to do everything for the glory of God. And one way, we, one way we show off God's glory is how we interact with one another. Hold that spot in John 17 and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Uh, because I think Paul spells this out perfectly in his letter to Rome. Romans chapter 15. We're looking at Christ-centered community uh, and the purpose of it. And so we'll read the first seven verses. A lot of this has to do with community, uh, but we'll really hone in on verse 7. 
So Romans 15, starting in verse 1. If you got it, say got it. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So that's verse 7 again. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Why? Because this brings glory to God. So as a Christ-centered community, we should welcome people into our family. Why? Because Christ welcomed us into his. So here's the point. Um, I came to Overflow uh, because I thought the worship guys were pretty cool. Shout out. And that I thought Austin was a great preacher. That's why I came. But I stayed for the community that I found here. Uh, Matt and, and his guys, they, they welcomed me into the family here. Um, but what this verse says, verse 7, uh, it says that there was a deeper reality going on uh, when I was being welcomed. Um, not only was I being invited uh, to play Smash Brothers and to park cars uh, and to have a guy that I could share life with, but I, what I really was getting uh, was a taste uh, or the sight of the glory of God. And that I was being welcomed and at the same time wooed by the glory that I was seeing here. And this is what community is about, to be so welcoming, so loving, so forgiving that people go, wow, uh, that's different. That is not anything I've ever experienced here. And one of the greatest things that I've ever learned to do is to transpose this sweetness um, to God. And if you hang with me here, I'm trying to explain this to you, and I promise it'll be worth coming tonight. Um, when I experience a good steak, and I, you know, like a good steak, or I watch a good movie, uh, like The Greatest Showman, or, or when I see a beautiful sunset, um, that feeling of beauty and, and satisfaction uh, and pleasure, uh, I don't want that feeling of, of worship and praise to end on the movie or to terminate at the stake. I, I want to transpose it to a deeper reality. And so this is how it works. Uh, you take a bite of a steak. Um, wow, God, that was a great steak. Thank you for creating cows and letting us cook them. Or, wow, God, that was a great movie. The soundtrack might be the greatest of all time. Thank you for music and for the beauty that comes with it. If you want to see the glory of God in all things, you've got to start viewing everything that is beautiful and uh, enjoyable and transpose that to the creator of the thing that's beautiful and sing to him. That is how you have eyes for the glory of God. All that to say, 
there's a truth that here at Overflow, we can be so welcoming, so loving despite disagreements, so living in harmony with one another, so willing to reconcile and serve one another as Christ did for us, that when people experience it, they see the glory of God. And that is why we exist, to bring glory to God, to live in such a way that people give glory to God and not to us. So we want to be a people, a Christ-centered community that welcomes people with open arms, not one that is secluded. Because the truth is, if your community is not welcoming, you don't have a community, you have a clique. And cliques in the Bible are more like the Pharisees than they are the disciples of Christ. We want to be welcoming and outward focus, outward focus, which leads me to my last point, the same mission. The call in our lives as believers is to make disciples. Make disciples, meaning we want to share the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ with other people who don't have the gospel. And if we, as a Christ-centered community with the same identity and the same purpose, then we also have the same mission. And we should live community out with one another as if we are on the same mission. Go back to John 17 and see what Jesus says in his prayer. John 17, verse 20, again, again, uh, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in them, that they also may be in us. Here it is. So that, here's why, the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prays for unity. Why? Well, he says it right here. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the reason that Christ is praying for unity, that they may be one, 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 is so that when people look at us, they see Christ. And he says the same thing in Matthew 5, verse 16. It says this. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So pay attention to what this is saying because it's easy to get this twisted. Uh, it doesn't say, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to you or to overflow or to your little community. Uh, the way that we live with one another the way that we live with one another, play volleyball with one another, go to Cane's and eat with one another, sing with one another, pray with one another, date one another in such a way, encourage one another in such a way. We are to do this so that blind people might see the bright blazing light of God's glory and God might open their eyes to see it. That is why we live. That's why we gather. That's why we do community. We give glory to God and pray that people see Christ in us. We want people to come to Overflow, see a bunch of friends who love each other so much that they go back to their dorm, they tell their roommate, dude, listen, that, that was strange. And hopefully, by the grace of God, the next words that come out of their mouth are, and I kind of liked it. And I kind of liked it. But not only do we want to live the gospel out, uh, we want to share the gospel. Uh, my crew and I, we like to poke fun. Um, 
You guys hear the old saying, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words? Listen to me, look close. That is not in the Bible. Not the statement nor the idea. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. No one got saved because you walked Grandma Gertrude across the street or donated $10 to a GoFundMe. No one got saved from that. Salvation comes from the name of the Lord. And we've got to share our faith with our words and pray that God would save some people. Uh, And what I found is the best way to build community together is to go to the front line of battle uh, with one another, uh, much like soldiers. And this is why Beach Reach has done such a good job at building community in our ministry. Why? Because we're going to the front lines together. And we can encourage one another. Uh, We can uh, catch one another when they're uh, discouraged, uh, drag them off the ridge and into the arms of Christ. So we want to be a community of believers uh, that is Christ-centered, God-glorifying, and mission-minded. So a couple of applications before I wrap up. First, if you're a believer in Christ, uh, you would say your identity is not in this world, but it is on the cross. Uh, It's important that you find a crew to run with. Uh, And we want to welcome you all the way in to this family that we've got here. If you came by yourself and you feel like you don't have any friends, nah fam, you got 400 friends. The best way to get plugged in, we've got 21 community groups that kick off next week. And so plug in, get to know people, um, stay late tonight, play volleyball, shoot hoops, share your story with one another. We'd love to hear you. Uh, guys, come over to our house and we'll cook you food. And by we, I mean Jesse. Um, and, and here's the deal. I'm, I'm serious, too. I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, I believe this is true. And they gave me a church card. Um, so come over. I'll buy groceries, uh, and we'll have a good time. Um, next, last, uh, if you are not a believer in Christ, uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want you to feel welcome here, but our prayer for you is a bit different. Uh, Romans 8 says, If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And so I hope you make friends here. I hope you feel welcome. But our prayer for you is that you would get this vertical relationship right first. Because right now, your identity is enemy of God. And so you can find friends and you can uh, be welcomed here. But I would much rather you be part of this family than on the outside Um, And the good news is that Romans 5 says that while we were yet enemies of God, he reconciled us back to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so believe in that truth. Uh, We can be bros for eternity and sing songs for billions of years. All right? So let's finish this prayer. Read with me in verse 24 of John 17. Verse 24. Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. 
and I in them. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the, the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered, where he was arrested and then tried and then crucified and then, praise God, risen. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.